Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of 1 Chronicles 16. I'm going to ask the Lord to touch His Word to our heart tonight. The angel of the Lord took a coal from off the altar and touched it to the lips of Jeremiah and it forever changed him physically. And I believe God can take the coal of his word and touch it to our heart and we can, we can be forever altered. We can be forever changed. Amen. The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so I know from this scripture tonight you could surmise that I'm gonna preach on the glory of the Lord or you could surmise that I'm gonna preach on bringing an offering. Amen. Or you could surmise that I'm gonna preach on the beauty of holiness and I'm gonna... I'm gonna cut you a deal tonight. I'm just gonna preach on one of those. I wanna talk to you this evening about the beauty of holiness. Amen, let's pray. I love you today, Lord, and I ask you to just speak the word of truth to our heart here this evening and help us, Lord, in our journey to be more like you because certainly we believe and emphatically confirm every day, Lord, that our lives with you is indeed a journey. So I pray that you'll help us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. I am afraid there is a wide misconception about the subject of holiness. I don't believe that true biblical holiness is a list of do's and don'ts. I believe that biblical holiness is something that is born in our heart. It is a part of the fabric of who we are. And I wanna talk about the beauty of holiness. I don't think that, uh, I don't think in the world that we live in and the battles that we wage every day, I I don't think with a flame as high as that battle rages, we can afford to be silent on the issue. I believe that the church must have a voice in this hour. Amen. And so we're gonna be talking about the beauty of holiness and what it means to us and what it means to God. We have to understand that we need to live a holy life because our salvation depends upon that. These are not optional things that we can add to our lives or take away from our lives if we just so choose. And I think it's very, very important to understand. And so if if you're planning on taking a nap, let me just go ahead and insert this right now because I want you to get this part. (laughs) I, I don't think that holiness is withdrawing from something as much as it is drawing unto something. 
And so people who have a misconception about holiness just see it as abstaining from this, 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 and this, and this, and never talk about the fact that that there's a purpose in that. We're not drawing away from something as much as we are drawing unto something. I'm walking away from the world, that's true. But if you really wanna know the reason I'm walking away from the world is because I'm walking toward God. And so the more toward God I walk, the further by default I, I come from the world and its ideas and philosophies. And so we are not talking about holiness or we're not separating our lives in a holiness lifestyle to merely make others look unholy. And uh, so many times holiness or the issue of holiness has not been talked about in a beautiful way. It's been talked about and used almost as a battling ram. And, and uh, I, I pray the Lord would forgive us for that if we've been guilty. But from God's perspective, the salvation process and the sanctification process is just that, one and the same. It is a process, it is a journey. And so when someone receives the Holy Ghost, when someone receives the Holy Ghost, they're just as saved at that moment as someone that's been in the, Holy, someone that's been in the church for 50 years. I don't think they're gonna have a, row further toward the back because they just got the Holy Ghost. However, they're only beginning their walk with God. They're just walking away from the altar of the holy altar of matrimony and, and they're beginning their journey with God, their walk with God. And so it's imperative that other believers allow God to lead them, allow them the room to be led to sanctification, to holiness to separation where there's a lot of words we could throw in there. I, I refer often to Isaiah 35 and eight when I teach on the subject of holiness because Isaiah said that an highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. And so if you've been here for any length of time at all, you've heard me use this illustration. If, if holiness can be likened to a highway, then what I am trying to do is get people on the right road in the right direction and if I get them on the right road in the right direction, then I'm trying to guard them from everybody else until they can get established on the journey. Amen. And so if that happens, they will get where they need to be with God. I believe this is a process. And I also believe that everybody needs to be given space to move. <laughs> in their own life. You have no idea, I have no idea often what people are going through or what they have been through. And so what may be just an enormous issue in your mind may be a complete moot issue up against other things they're trying to overcome in their life. Amen. And so I, I believe that we have to grow and mature. And there are um, many times most issues of holiness are not salvation issues, they're, they're maturity issues. They're the things we gotta grow up and grow into. And, and uh, we haven't always been the way we are. Amen. I haven't always been the way I am. And you haven't always been the way you are. 
But the longer you live for God and the more you see of his word, the, the greater your relationship comes, becomes with him and the deeper your roots become, the more like him we become. And so we get rooted and founded and, and grounded in this. And so only, it's, it's, it's only as we do not obey in these areas that we now walk into willful disobedience and then that becomes a salvation issue. Because to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it becomes sin. And so as the light of revelation begins to be, come on in our heart and as we begin to see more, we become accountable. And so there's no such thing as coming to church and leaving the same. Because somewhere in the course of the word or in the praise and worship, there's, there's a little light that just gets added to our life and we become accountable for the knowledge. And so once we know, then we have to deal with that. The apostles obviously place great importance on many areas of Christian maturity because they taught on things like the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, holiness in spirit and in conduct. And the apostles even told on, taught on holiness in, in appearance. I, I talked about this just a few services ago about the proper uses of Christian liberty or in other words, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. He, Paul said everything that's lawful is not always, is not always um, expedient, thank you. And uh, so it's, it's not always in the best interest. It's, it's, it's not always wise. And so we have to be careful how we use even Christian liberty so that we don't become stumbling blocks to other people. And so the apostles taught on good works and doctrinal and spiritual maturity. And so while a person certainly can obtain salvation, people can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, repent of their sins, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and be baptized and things of that nature without a full understanding, a full revelation or immediately experiencing every, all of these areas or every aspect of these areas Amen, we also have to realize that the apostles also cast doubt on being able to maintain that walk with God without a desire to grow in him. You can't just get the Holy Ghost and go sit down somewhere. Amen, you, you gotta learn how to walk with him and grow in him and, and so it's, it's extremely dangerous to know and not do. That is extremely dangerous to know and not act upon what we know. And so it is the, it's in this area that people begin to get in trouble with God and, and, the, and the reason for that is because they are now living in rebellion because we know better but we're gonna do what we wanna do anyway. And uh, so we have to be very, very careful about that. The book of 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 I want to read verse 16 and 17. Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And so we are responsible. We are responsible as our own lives. And, and I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, but we got to teach it and tell it and tell it and tell it until we get it. There's certain things that we would just be flabbergasted if someone were to do in this house because this is the church. This is the temple of God. And so there are certain activities that we just wouldn't want to take place in here because this is a house that has been dedicated unto the Lord. 
And so what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is that we are now the temple of God. And so we've gotta be careful what we allow in this temple because we are the temple of the spirit of God. And so we've gotta be careful. I, I don't wanna just eat in any restaurant. I don't wanna just eat because they've got a sign out front, food for sale. <laughs> I wanna know a little bit. I've walked out of a few places. Amen. Probably more than, than average. <laughs> we've, we've, we've walked out because I, 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 I wanna think that through. I, I don't wanna just sit down in some garbage pit and, and try to partake of a meal. And so if that's what the table looks like, God help, help, and help us what the kitchen looks like. And so we wanna be careful that our lives, our minds, our spirit, our heart is pure. And, and so holiness absolutely involves separation from the world. There's no way around that. Absolutely no way around that. Again, Paul to the church of Corinth in 6 and 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And there was a prerequisite to being received of God. <laughs> Amen. Just uh, yesterday afternoon late, Brother Gibson and I were talking and we were, he said something about how um, how detailed God was. And, and, and when he said that, it just this thought came to me and I said back to him, I said, all you gotta do is look at just one peacock to understand that. God is so detailed in every little area. Amen. So specific with things that, that probably wouldn't matter if it had been left up to us. And he's so detailed. And so he said, if, if you're going to be received of me, then you've got to come out and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And if we go to verse seven, chapter seven of verse one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, in the fear of God. And so we have to be very careful how we view holiness. I don't ever want to look at holiness with eyes of disdain. I don't, I don't ever want to look at it that way or feel toward it that way. I want to understand that holiness is a beautiful thing. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. The book of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7, the Bible says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And so when you despise holiness or you're, you're thinking you're despising man, you're not despising man, you're despising God because he is the author of holiness. I understand many times people's weapon of defense against holiness living or lifestyles or lifestyles of separation is the fact that they say we are not saved by works, but we are, we, we're, we're saved by grace. And I couldn't agree anymore. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Amen. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That being said, I just want to throw out something that's food for thought. In Revelations chapter 2 and 3, when the churches, the seven churches of Asia are being addressed, 
the Lord speaks to all of these churches and says this, I know thy works. And so it matters what we do. We're not saved by works. It is, salvation is a work of grace, but we are saved unto works. Now, we know the seven churches of Asia all have faith, but God pronounces judgment and blessings upon each church based on their works. Amen. And so holiness is not a means of earning salvation. It's not a means of earning salvation. It's a result of earning salvation. When, when I got married, I didn't abandon my old friends. But I'll tell you what happened to our relationship. I'm gonna use a biblical term here. I started cleaving unto my wife. Amen. I, I have all of my old friends at least the majority, I would say, of my old friends. But my relationship to them is just different. I didn't abandon them and put an X on their forehead. I just put a star on hers. <laughs> and the more I migrated toward her, the less influence they had in my life. And, and there are many days, weeks, and months go by that I don't even think about some of the people I went to high school with. But there's not a, an hour of the day that I don't think about her. It's a matter of priorities. And if you think I'm sitting here trying to dig myself out of a hole, <laughs> I said something last night to my wife and and she, and she said, why'd you say that? I said, because I need the points. She said, you're not even in trouble. I said, that's not the issue. The issue is that the points come to you one at a time, but you can lose them a dozen at a time. And so you just need all the points you can get. And so if I'm gaining anything out of this, God bless me. And so I didn't, I didn't all of a sudden abandon them. I just started walking toward something else of greater importance. And so my values and my focus changed. And so I hope that makes sense. Much could be said about internal holiness, but I think it's a grievous error to preach external standards without preaching internal standards. Because when that happens, we are setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for that holier than thou mindset and, and on and on and on. However, in our modern spirit-filled Christians, many of them often pride themselves on being holy on the inside while remaining unaffected on the outside. And, and that is an equally grievous error before God because we've got to have holiness inside and out. There must be a balance. David said, my foot standeth in an even place. And so we must find this balance in him. And so one of the purposes of this Bible lesson this evening is, to, is how to deal with our internal holiness and how we deal with that and how we work on that begins to affect our outs, exterior holiness, the, outs, the outside man. And so it should, good, it should really go without saying, but external compliance if you just have 
external compliance, that is worthless before God unless there is something on the inside, some reality of holiness on the inside. If we just line up to a list of rules so that we can do whatever, join the choir, so to speak, then, then if we just do that and never work on this inside, then after a while, something is gonna be grossly, grossly out of balance. I have no doubt used this example, but I remember a good number of years ago now, but a highway my wife and I, and probably several of you take here uh, many times a week, we, we, there was a little house, <clears throat> a little dilapidated wooden house, and it was just about to fall apart. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, one day, a crew of people showed up. This has been many years ago, and a crew of people showed up, and they started working. They put vinyl siding all around that house and new shingles on that house, and, and all of a sudden, it looked like a brand new house. Let me, let me say that again. All of a sudden, it looked like a brand new house. And then somebody walks out in the front yard and nails down a for sale sign. And I just almost felt a moral obligation to that particular community to just stand there and warn everybody that even slowed down to say what you see is not what you get. <laughs> this looks okay, but it is anything but okay. And that is exactly what happens when we just talk about the external man and never talk about the issues of our heart the issues of our mind, what we are thinking about. And, 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 and some people are so quick to draw the sword on external holiness. <laughs> but their spirit is rotten and, and a, it would take a machete to chop their tongue up. I'm serious. They're venomous, hateful spirits. This is all right, ain't it? Amen, we'll shout Sunday. That, just stay with me tonight. If we'll get through this, we'll have something to shout about Sunday. We gotta work on this, what we're thinking about, what we say, how we respond, how we treat people, how, not what we do in here among ourselves on Sunday and on Wednesday, but how, how do we act on the job on Wednesday? How do we respond to our neighbors and how do we treat people down the road? How, how do we deal with people that we do business with? I don't want to just be on the outside, look like everything as well. And so internal issues are obviously important. So that's why we spend the majority of our time in this, from this pulpit preaching about the issues of our heart, the issues of our mind. But in, if we're not careful, if you don't talk about these other things, then that falls by the wayside. And so we've got to pull it all together. Amen, the, 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 the preeminence of internal holiness does not negate the place of external holiness. Amen, we've gotta have this on the outside because it is a manifestation of what's going on on the inside. Some, some time ago, and you may or may not agree with this, but I thought it was an interesting take on something, but some time ago I was riding with a, a police officer and, and so we came up to a four-way intersection and the car that had come up to our right was just demolished. And so we pulled in behind it and there were 14 things he had a right to pull him over for. And so he pulled him over and sure enough, there were a number of issues that were going on. And so we got back in the car 
he said, do you know how I knew to pull him over? I said, no. He said, people that have that many issues going on on the outside of their automobile have more issues going on in their life. Because how you really are becomes reflected by things about you. And so I realized that was a policeman and a policeman's point of view, but can you get the spiritual connection? When, when you let things go in here, after a while things out here just don't matter as well. And so we've got to work on this together. Amen. And so <clears throat> external holiness is really just a manifestation. For example, we are saved by the work of the Holy Ghost. Not, we're not saved by speaking in tongues. Stay with me just a moment now. We're saved by the work of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues alone does not send us to heaven no more than not speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about initially, but not speaking in tongues later sends us to hell. I have your undivided attention right now. Nevertheless, the initial sign of tongues certainly illustrates the reality and biblical validation that the spirit of the Lord has moved in and someone's been filled with the Holy Ghost. But what we need now is a work of the Holy Spirit to take us from that moment because chances are you're not gonna speak in tongues the rest of your life. Continually, I'm talking about. Nonstop. There are, we are gonna to continue to speak in a heavenly language. I hope I'm not confusing you with what I'm saying here. And so we're, we're, we're gonna to have to, at some point, stop speaking in tongues and you're gonna to have to go to work. And you're gonna probably need to speak English. But now we need the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit starts dealing with us and ministering to us. And, and I, I know something, a few things from just sheer experience. And one of the things that I know from sheer experience is that there are a lot of things that the Spirit of God will deal with that I'll never have to deal with in the lives of people. Just all of a sudden, you, you just start seeing some things fall by the wayside, some things fall off, and some things put on. And how did that happen? The work of the Spirit. All of a sudden, begin to convict people that I'm not negating teaching and the value of those, uh, those instruments in, in, in the organization of the church, but you see this work of the Spirit. And so, someone once amply stated, salvation is a free gift, but sanctification is a pretty costly experience. That walk with God, that work with God. Matthew 16, 24, the Bible says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life shall for my sake shall find it. For what is man, a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Amen, I'm thankful today that we have the, the privilege to, to understand the value of letting go of this world and reaching for another world. Thank you, Lord, for that. I'm so thankful for that. 
Amen. And so when we think about holiness and holiness teachings and, and where its origin is, the supreme source, of course, for the issue of holiness and its teaching is the word of God itself. Therefore, a holiness standard must either be a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. If we're gonna talk about, make something a holiness issue, can I say that one more time? Amen, it needs to be a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. God has given us spiritual leadership in the church to help us apply spiritual principles to the situations that we encounter in our contemporary life. And so, although the scripture was written way, 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 way back in history, there are still contemporary applications and we have spiritual leaders to help us learn how and know how to apply that to our lives here and now. In addition, the Spirit of God teaches us directly through what I was talking about a moment ago, internal promptings or whatever you wanna call it and convictions if we will listen. The spirit of the Lord will convict us. The Lord will speak to us. And I, I just need a little bit of apostolic honesty here now. How many times in our walk with God has the Lord spoke something to us and we didn't want to hear that? <laughs> and how many of us lived in rebellion about that issue for a little while? Amen. Far more people than amen, I promise you that. And so when we begin to listen, the Lord prompts our heart and speaks to us. And so his spirit will lead us and guide us. And I've got to learn how to be sensitive to that prompting. You know, we say the Lord spoke to us. You know, our, our vernacular. And the Lord spoke to us. And not necessarily with an audible voice, but he just dealt with our heart. And, and all of a sudden, something that just seemed so important yesterday now has no value whatsoever. Something that you just didn't think you could live without now, now hardly ever even crosses your mind because the spirit of God is leading us into another light, another walk. And so these things, the word of God, spiritual leadership, and of course the leading of the spirit, these things working together complement one another. And the Bible, don't ever forget, the Bible is the final authority because God is not gonna give human beings the right to change his message, nor will the indwelling spirit of God speak something contrary to the written word of God. This is the final authority. And so I don't have the right to change it, nor do I have the right to allow or say or think that the spirit of God is gonna change the word of God because this is the final authority, amen. So what, what are holiness standards? In the Old Testament, I've preached about this through the years, but in the Old Testament when we talk about standards, when we talk about standard, a standard in the Old Testament, the, the first readings we ever hear and talked about the word standard and what they are, were flags or banners that were lifted up and all the tribes of Israel, each one of each tribe had a flag or a banner that represented that tribe, just like every state has a flag that represents that state. And there was a standard bearer in every camp of Israel. And so when they got where they were going to be for a while and made camp, the standard bearer would raise the flag, the banner, the standard. And so it was, it, was, it was in the best interest of the head of every household 
to keep your eye on the standard. Keep your eye on the flag because the standard bearer has his ear and his eyes attuned to the voice of God, the man of God. And so when the cloud begin to move by day or the fire begin to move at night, the standard bearer pulled down the banner and they marched until they got to the next camp. When they got to the next camp, the standard bearer raised his flag and that flag, whatever tribe that they were in, they were to camp around that standard because that's what they were accountable to and that's what they had to hold on to. And so we had to, uh, when you look all throughout scripture, you can see other references to the word standard. Numbers 21, we read the same word used to indicate a pole upon which a serpent would be raised. If you were bitten by a serpent, uh, you may remember that, that particular passage in Numbers, then that was, a standard was raised and you looked to that and whoever looked upon that would live. And so it was customary to give a standard or a, as a token of protection that was regarded as a, a pledge. And so God's lifting up or God's setting up of standards implies his particular presence or protection or the leading of his people. And so the modern dictionary, our, our modern dictionary defines the word standard as this, something established by authority, custom, or general consent as a model or example, or a means of determining what a thing should be, a test of quality, whether formulated as a rule or not a simple test for determine the authenticity or the value of something intangible. And so quite simply, holiness standards are not the tangible part of holiness. That is the internal work of God's spirit. However, there are external signs, amen, that an authentic work of salvation is going on in our lives and subsequent Christian maturity has now begun to take place. When something is working on the inside of us, it's going to manifest itself on the outside of us. And, and, and let me just be real, real, real specific. It doesn't always just manifest itself by virtue of some article of clothing. I am certainly not against wedding bands. My wife wears a wedding band, but you can have a wedding band that weighs 15 pounds. And that will not stop you from being promiscuous. It, it, it can take two people to set your hand up on the table. But that will not ever be enough to build a gate or a guard in your heart. And you can, by the same token, never put a wedding band on your finger and have the spirit of a husband or the spirit of a wife. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm not trying to abolish external standards by any stretch of the imagination, but what I'm telling you by the same token is you can dress up and prim up all you want to, and that won't be enough to make you live right. We need something on the inside that manifests itself on the outside. We're not in the market of sin. We're not shopping for sin. I'm not interested there. I'm not in the market of that. I have no vested interest there. And so I must understand that. I, I must understand that when, when we think about an authentic work of God going on in someone's life, it will show on the outside. There are three types of holiness standards. <clears throat> there are biblical standards. These are explicitly commanded in scripture and 
and they demand immediate obedience because we've got to heed the scripture. Then there are church standards. These are established by spiritual leadership that deals with practical applications of scriptural principles in, in our modern society, our modern situations. And so we, we need spiritual leadership and you need to pray for your spiritual leaders. I'm, I'm not just talking about myself, but you need to pray for spiritual leaders because Moses, the Lord said to Moses, he said, Moses, you set the border round about the mountain because the day that the children of Israel touch it, that's the day they're gonna die. So Moses, you need to exercise some wisdom here and you need to set the border around about the mountain. And so I wanna exercise caution and I wanna exercise wisdom and moderation and balance. But I promise you, I don't wanna be so far one way that we are radical, but I don't wanna be so far the other way that we don't leave ourselves enough room. Amen, for mercy to do some work in our heart. I've said many, many times, if you live with a cliff in your backyard, you wouldn't set the fence all the way to the edge of the cliff. You want it inside a little bit because if you have a child that climbs the fence, you want a little bit of time to respond and react. Amen. And so God help us. And so I, I pray that when we're talking about church standards, that generally these are understood and implemented gradually as people begin to mature and as they begin to grow and understand what would be right and wrong. And then there are personal standards or personal convictions. You might know that terminology a little bit better, but these are personal standards or personal convictions are prompted by the Spirit of God in individual lives, hear me now, due to unique backgrounds and experiences of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And they may have no relevance to anyone else. And so I don't mind you having a personal conviction that's 10 times stronger than mine on some particular issue, but you need to keep that to yourself. That doesn't, your standard doesn't need to be the standard for everybody else and then you hop up on the fence and just condemn the rest of the world because they're not convicted about something that you are convicted of. We all need personal standards and personal convictions in our lives. Amen. There are some personal convictions that I have. They have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with this church. They have nothing to do with the apostolic church. They're just convictions that I have. And I have been abiding by them for many years and my heart's intention is to keep abiding by them, but they are personal standards. And the reason that, that even though you're dying for me to mention them, I'm not, is because they're personal convictions. I love you. People say, well, isn't this just legalism? People that have church backgrounds say, isn't this pharisaical? Jesus' main problem with the Pharisees was not that they appeared holy. His problem with the Pharisees was that they allowed their exterior holiness to camouflage their inner sin. They were rotten, full of dead men's bones. He said, why did sepulchers? 
full of dead men's bones. A great friend of ours, I wouldn't repeat this if I didn't know it to be true and I could trust him, was riding down the road listening to a preacher one day and he was preaching about this particular passage of scripture and he said, instead of white sepulchers, he called them white seapuckers. White seapuckers. So whatever you want them to be, <laughs> white sepulchers, they look right on the outside, but inside they are not. And so his problem was that people would dress up the outside but be rotten inside and that can still be an issue today. Paul consistently taught on external holiness but he condemned some for merely having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof, just the form of godliness. He said, as a matter of fact, from such, turn away. You need to run away from that. And, and so Jesus used, it, used strong, acidic words like hypocrites which means godless actors to describe the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, he used that term seven times in just the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. He called them hypocrites, or in other words, you're godless actors. You're just pretending to be something. Yet, he made a, a distinction between the righteous principles they taught and the unrighteous actions or acts they committed. So he did not throw it one all away because part of it was wrong. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Matthew 23 and three, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. This is what Jesus said. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Another translation, let me help you out with this. Another translation says it this way. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not the works they do. Here's why. Because they preach, but they don't practice. Amen. <laughs> so he said whatever, so do and observe. Whatever they tell you, you do it and observe it, but don't be like them. Don't be like them because they just preach and don't do it. And so legalism is the act of basing one's salvation on their own works or, or imposing non-biblical rules on people to earn salvation. And that's strongly condemned in the Bible, by the way. However, the proper alternative to legalism is not the absence of God's laws. Rather, it is the proper relationship to God's laws. And, and we have a pretty mixed congregation here today, so I'm gonna choose my words carefully, but some people have found a few untruths because they've discovered some things were preached that really wasn't accurate. They threw it all away. And, and I remember being in a, a pretty heavy discussion with a, an individual one time when he started bringing up things that were preached. He said, well, bless God, I, I heard this preached years ago. I said, well, I heard that preached too. And I don't believe that is a heaven or hell issue, nor do I agree that now because one thing was wrong, we're gonna throw everything away. Is everybody all right in this house tonight? And so we've got to make sure that, that we have a relationship on with God on the basis of, of grace. We've got to understand that, and I, I hope we do. However, we also have to realize that there are certain responsibilities that come along with our relationship with God, the salvation that we have. There's some responsibilities that come along with that, and, and, and the basis of, 
of how much I appreciate what the Lord has done in my life. I want that to be resembled in how I live, how I walk, how I talk. Therefore, the only case in which external standards could be pharisaical or legalistic is where there is no corresponding relationship with God on the inside. Can it be pharisaical? Can it be legalistic? Yes, if there is no relationship on the inside. But if there is a walk with God on the inside, amen, I I need to make sure we get the hold of this. I want the Spirit of God working on me, on the inside. I want my mind to be changed. I want my heart to be right. Amen. I know it became quite popular a number of years ago to, you see, would see this statement everywhere, this question everywhere, what would Jesus do? But that's a really a valid question. What would Jesus do? And I want to ask myself often, and when I'm faced with situations, what would the Lord do? How would he respond? How would he handle this? And that's what I need to be working on. You know, it just, it takes no effort or energy at all to just live like the world. You know, I've, I've often, you know, sometimes men in the, in the world of men, men often mistake kindness for weakness. But I've often said, any fool can act like a fool. It takes no energy at all to just cut up and carry on. But it really takes some grit to do the right thing. It takes a lot of energy and effort to shut up when you want to speak up. <laughs> Amen. It takes a lot of energy to keep sitting when you want to stand. And so I say, Lord, help me to understand that every day. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs 25 and 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. And you know what? This, this book right here is just, just a gold mine. It is a treasure of truth. And the more you search this book, the more beauty you find. Amen. Someone the other day was showing me a scripture in their Bible and they kind of apologized because it was all written up and underlined and highlighted. I said, my goodness, never apologize for a tool well worn. Never apologize for a tool well worn. It's a treasure of truth. And so the more you search it, the more you behold it. But, but some people really resent digging for truth and they just wanna rather just kind of whatever they can sweep up off the surface and live by that. But when you start digging into the word of God and, and really trying to find the treasures of God, you can really stumble across some things that are meaningful and and. and and those that just want to live off whatever just kind of flows to them the easiest, they, they not only miss many, many treasures, but they miss the point that we have got to get in the word of God. And God designed his word so that the plan of salvation is very obvious. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can read this book and figure out what to do. But the paths of sanctification, now that, that takes some study. 
You're going to have to put yourself into the mercy of God and into the word of God. Amen. I want to be very, very careful and very serious about that. Some have taught that, you know, uh, in scriptures that you that you need to have uh, two or three scriptures. And I, I want to kind of hurry through something if I can here. Some have taught that you need to have two or three scriptures to teach anything as a holiness standard. They use such scriptures as 2 Corinthians 13 and 1, Deuteronomy 17, um, many other scriptures here, Matthew 18, 16, the mouth of two or three witnesses, etc. A much better concept, I believe, is to keep the spirit and the counsel of the whole book. Amen. I want the spirit of Genesis to Revelation and the counsel of this entire book. If you think about it, the, the listings of the fruit of the spirit, the listings of the gifts of the spirit, as well as many other things only appear one time in scripture. But just because they only appear one time doesn't make me think they're not significant. Amen? And so I can't discard something because of the lack of two or three witnesses. I want the spirit and the counsel of this entire book to help me and lead me and guide me. Some things are very obvious. Some things are more obscure. And in those times of obscurity, I need the counsel of this whole book Amen. And so, you know, as the day changes, as the hour changes, the society around us changes, we have to really have the spirit of the book and the counsel of the book. Amen. Believe it or not, there was a day that no one had to preach against the dangers of the internet because there was no internet. So rather than just trying to conjure up a brand new sermon, what we've been trying to do is hold on to the spirit of this book and the, the concepts of this whole book. And so no matter how much the world changes, if we can hold on to the spirit of this book and the concept and the principles of this book, amen, and they are all going to agree. And so as our musicians come, I wanna close with just a few more comments. Many, many people think that uh, there are more requirements for some than there are others. Amen. I've heard people erroneously allude to the idea that there's more required from women than there are men. There may be many scriptures that speak specifically to women, but I don't think there's an imbalance. And many times men have hidden behind these issues and placed way too much responsibility on women and not enough responsibility on themselves. Amen. I lost a lot of male amens right there. It's still the truth. For many years, we let women be the prayer warriors and the leaders of worship, and, and they were the leaders of spiritual things in the homes of many, many, many. I, I'm thankful for a, for a resurgence of, of men. I really am. I, I do not take that lightly whatsoever. There, there are different applications and there of guidelines because men and women are different. So there are different applications. And, and even though that may not be politically correct in the hour in which we live, it is an inescapable truth that God created men and women differently. And, and I realize that, that even in our men's conference, Brother Woodward dealt with some of this, and I appreciated that. And I want to be careful again because of a mixed audience, but there are some inescapable truths here. I don't want to go too far, but I do want to, 
to just to just mention a few things that as Brother Woodward said, I, I don't want to just try to capitalize solely on that, but I, he's a great man to repeat if you're going to repeat anybody. Men are stimulated by sight. And so that's why Jesus said to men, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in their heart. And so man has always, by design, been attracted to women physically before he ever connected to her emotionally. And that is why the world of pornography has its great market among men. Amen. Women, on the other hand, are more stimulated by touch, either physical or emotional. And so that's why Paul gives a different command Concerning women, that's why he said in Corinthians, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So while men, while a woman is commanded to appear a certain way so that a man is not stimulated, it is also commanded that a man act a certain way so the woman is not stimulated. So we have a lot of responsibilities on both sides of the fence. And so while there are things that are taught through the Apostle Paul and others toward, toward women and how they appear. Please, ladies, don't think that this is a one-sided ship because men, we can't just push all of this over there and say, well, you know, now all I gotta do is go earn a living. You gotta be kidding. We are called to be the priest of our home. As a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about how we treat our wives lest our prayers be hindered. You go ahead and call her a battle axe if you want to. <laughs> but you better stop somewhere between there and the altar and get that right. Because you're not gonna treat her like some second-rate citizen and then walk in the church and lift up your hands in front of everybody and act like everything's all right. Because your prayers are just bouncing all over the place. Amen. Come on, men. Say amen. We gotta be right. We've got to be right. And so we've gotta understand the value of, of what we're doing both inside and out. Paul mentions three strict requirements for godly men and I really appreciated Brother Woodward's message on this. He said that men ought to lift up holy hands. Hands free from sin. Amen. Then he said that we need to lift up holy hands without wrath. So we need to lift up hands that are free from sin and we need to be men that are without anger and wrath. There's a lot of angry men in the world. Amen. And then we need to worship God without doubt, a mind set free. So lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so men, we have a great responsibility. We need to lead our home in prayer and lead our home in worship. And the list goes on and on and on. I am encouraged, I'll say this, 
I am so encouraged when I look around from the vantage point of our platform and I see such a great balance. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful that when people need prayer, it's not just the ladies that are coming forth to pray, but men peel out of these pews fulfilling their spiritual obligation. And when it is time to worship, it's not just the women that are leading us in worship while the men say, well, I'll cut the grass on Saturday and I'll paint the eaves and I'll nail on the shingles. But men realize that we also bear a responsibility on Sunday and Wednesday in our worship service. Amen. And you know what? Because you've been men of example. Our young men, you watch them in prayer time. Amen. They're hard to find because some of them are only knee high. But when these men come forward to pray for other men, those young men are seeing by example and they're coming forward. They may not even understand fully what's going on, but you lead them by example. I'm talking tonight about the beauty of holiness. This is a beautiful thing. Don't let the world taint that image in your mind. I don't want it, my heart to be ever changed. Amen, I wanna hold on to it in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Why don't we, if you'd like, let's just let the Spirit of God touch us right where you stand, amen. If you need a touch from the Lord tonight, there's not a better place. If you need God to help you with issues in your heart, there's not a better place, not a better time. The Spirit of the Lord can touch our minds and speak to us even now in this house. In the name of the Lord we pray. Come on, join us. Would you do that? Amen. Lift up your voice tonight. Let's cry unto the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.